0: Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Live. I'm your host Tony Duty, and I'm pleased to be joining you from my professional home at Rutgers University. We broadcast on the Higher Ed Live Network and you can tune in to Student Affairs Live along with my brilliant friend and co-host Heather Shea Gasser Wednesdays at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. If you're unfamiliar with past episodes I highly recommend you check out and favor the archive link that we're tweeting out now. We're proud to have covered over a hundred important topics with over 200 of the very top practitioners, scholars, leaders and experts in the field. Now in a moment I'll introduce you to our guests but we can't do that without first giving a shout out to the sponsors that make Student Affairs Live possible. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a marketing communication firm that works with education institutions on branding, strategy, web design and more. And the ACPA is honored and delighted to join with Higher Ed Live in catalyzing the conversations at the most critical intersections of our lives as student affairs professionals. Our work is layered, complicated, and life-changing for students and for each of us as professionals. We need a place to gather, talk, and listen deeply and no one in higher education should miss this opportunity to reset and rethink with Tony Duty and Heather Shea Gasser. Now I want to also take a moment to thank Kate Zulo and Robin Janice who are in the studio with me right now monitoring the back channel and they'll be forwarding to to me your best content and questions from the Twitterverse. I want to remind everyone that these episodes are live, your engagement through questions and comments on Twitter really improves the quality of the conversation. So finally I am very honored to have Dr. Ed Cabellan, Hamza Khan and Kat Shanahan joining us today. You can read their full biographies on today's episode page. But I want to start off by having each of you briefly introduce yourselves to our audience and tell us a little bit about your role and your past experience and, and current experience with marketing. Ed, can we start off with you?
1: Sure. Hi, hi everyone. Hi Tony. Thanks for uh, the invitation to be back on, hi- on Student Affairs Live and Higher Ed Live. So excited to be back with everybody. Hi Hamza. Hi Kat. So happy to be with you as well. Uh, I am the assistant to the Vice President for Student Affairs at Bridgewater State University. In lovely southeastern Massachusetts, uh, I'm two years into this new role uh, after being director of the student union here for about six years. Uh, moved into the central office to do marketing communications at a divisional level. So over the past two years, I've had the opportunity to really focus on strategic marketing and integrated marketing communications uh, for our staff, for our staff, and for our students. And so. Excited to share some uh, of the learning that's taken place the last two years and to hear from my colleagues about some of their best practices as well. So appreciate, again, the invitation, Tony.
0: Great. Thanks, Ed, and great to have you back. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Ed paved the way um, with Higher Ed Live and Student Affairs Live some some years ago and, and was nice enough to, to recommend me actually to, to take over his role. Uh, and ver- very honored that uh, he thought of me in that in that way. All right, Hamza, you're up next.
2: Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you Tony, uh, the Higher Ed Live team, M Stoner, uh, for inviting me to be a part of this and thank you all for joining today. This is really, really awesome. Uh, My name is Hamza and I'm the co-founder of Splash Effect. We're a Toronto-based digital marketing agency with a specialization in the education sector. Uh, My journey began uh, as a marketing intern at at Sony Music many years ago and from there I worked at the University of Toronto as a graphic designer and then subsequently as a marketing and design coordinator all within their department of student affairs. And following that, I did a, tent, uh, a stint at a tech startup. I freelanced for a bit, and then I found myself at Ryerson University's Department of Student Affairs, where I had the, uh, sort of the, the, the immense, incredible honor and privilege to work on the RU Student Life brand as part of the, dig- as part of the digital community portfolio. Uh, and what we did is we transformed the RU Student Life brand into an award-winning brand that's been replicated ac- across the country, as well as in the United States. And in doing so, we elevated Ryerson into a national leader in online student engagement. And that opportunity put a lot of wind in my sails, Uh, I was able to create the student affairs creative department within Ryerson University, the first of its kind innovation unit within student affairs in Canada and all those experiences have led to me being here Uh, and starting my own company Splash Effect where I work Uh, and I also recently co-founded a company called Skills Camp which I'd love to talk about at the end if we have some time.
0: Great. All right, Kat.
3: Thank you guys for having me. Um, It's been a while since I've been on so it's great to be back. Um, I got my start in student affairs as an undergraduate student working on our programming board and on the tech crew um, and doing some marketing for entertainment events on campus. And then after I graduated, I worked a lot in direct marketing and email marketing and social media management. Uh, At the time, that was a lot of my space. And then I transitioned to UW-Whitewater in their um, UC Graphics and Marketing department. I supervised their students there. Um, I kind of restructured the department. I led a multi-year branding initiative, which was really exciting, which kind of propelled us into a multi-year marketing project um, and implementing an integrated marketing communications framework for our student union. And then I was on um, a couple different committees involved with ACUI and helped launch the regional newsletter when we did the restructure. Um, That was a fun project working on Fun and Fly Over Country, which I think is the newsletter they're still using. Um, And then I transitioned to Filament Games, which is an educational video game studio in sunny and beautiful Madison, Wisconsin, where I do a lot of content marketing. I work with our blog, our social media channels, and our newly released podcast that just came
0: out. Very cool. So Kat, I'm going to put you on the spot if if you could boil it down to its essence, how would you describe the role of a marketing team in, in Student Affairs?
3: Uh, in Student Affairs I think it really comes down to being the catalyst for a lot of different departments. I think that um, in Student Affairs we're often over allocated and we don't have the resources that we'd really like to have in order to be able to market our events and so I think that the Um, the marketing team is really designed to be that great partner and work with departments to figure out, you know, what do you need, what are you trying to do because we may have ideas but departments might not know how to get there and so it's the role of the marketing team to figure out, you know, what are you trying to accomplish, who are you trying to talk to, and kind of bring those areas together.
0: Great. So I I already have a question from Elise Mills Chester who's the Director of Communications and Special Projects of Student Life at University of Denver and she would specifically like to know if any of you have any particular organizational models and reporting lines that you know to be successful. So anyone, will throw it out there.
2: I've see, uh, if, if I can jump in real quick, um, I've seen a really cool example at Northwestern University uh, where I had the pleasure to visit uh, a year ago and I met James McHaley, the director of marketing at, at uh, Northwestern. And uh, I learned that he reports directly into Julie Payne Kirschmeier, who's the associate VP of Student Affairs. But underneath James, he has a bunch of coordinators and frontline staff and student staff that report into him. And that's probably the most sort of fleshed out um, organizational model that I've seen for a marketing unit within Student Affairs. Another example being uh, what we created at Ryerson University. And uh, I, I remember, and going back to Kat's earlier response, uh, there were some growing pains initially when we created this unit. Uh, it operated first with two distinct purposes to one be a consolidated one stop shop for all creative marketing and multimedia needs uh, and at the same time it was also trying to be a think tank for innovative ways to connect with students and to tell its story and uh, uh, sort of under the leadership now of Bailey Parnell, Tassani, uh Ellis, Leslie D'Souza and all the other members that comprise that team uh, they've done something really cool and they've actually uh, delineated those two roles to be one focused exclusively on the innovation side of the house and another on um, sorry, the innovation research, narrative building, and another on just purely creative services and, and execution.
1: And I, and I would add, and you know, not to not to tote Bridgewater, but certainly the things that we've done here over the last few years, you know, our, our vice president, um, then vice president, Jason Pina, had um, moved me into this role specifically because he felt that, um, and I think our division did at the time felt that it was time to look at marketing communications from a divisional perspective instead of a a decentralized departmental perspective. So if you think about the way that I think most student affairs units are operated where marketing is decentralized, some of the challenges come about where you have inconsistency in brand and inconsistency in quality, depending on the types of staff and students they have access to. So the ability to create co-curricular opportunities through the central office through a leadership position Um, in the central office um, as an assistant too gave me flexibility and freedom to not only look at okay if we're really focused on student communication, which is something that I know our marcom or marketing communication department wasn't focused on, they're focused on the external brand, the external messaging, um, you know, enrollment areas with admissions. What what does that look like to prospective students? There was no one really. We were asleep at the wheel for all intents and purposes on how do you get a consistent message look and feel to students because, you know, whether it was internal. Um, community or student announcement system or email or, you know, again, disconnected social networking. Um, Our purpose was to raise the level of marketing and communications across the entire division. So, for example, Tony, in terms of structure, I think to to Elisa's question, you know, if a department, res life, I think, is one example, student activities might be another, where you have enough staff and resources to do something internal, our philosophy, we weren't trying to take that over. We were trying to help smaller departments you know up their marketing communication game per se so that they could have someone in the central office, someone else helping them think about how do we uh, operationalize the messaging that we need to do in order to get this out Um, and then helping departments like residence life and student activities in a way we can complement and augment their existing pieces and so um, I don't know of one structure that actually works. Like you know success again is one of those things that is a broad term when it comes to marketing communications. But I would argue that you know because we've centralized the area and we've moved it to the central office, there is someone who can help steer the ship, if you will, not necessarily take it over, but to steer it in a direction that the division then becomes that place leadership place for others to go to.
0: Cool. Now, now, Ed, Hamza brought up the, the concept of telling a story or, or uh, developing a narrative for, for Student Affairs. Why is that important? What are the benefits? What are potentially the consequences of not doing that? And do you have any practical suggestions on how to construct the narrative, how to tell a story?
1: Yeah. So. This continues to be part of our, you know, we try to crack the, communi- the student communication code, if you will, and one of those is really around storytelling versus messaging, because I feel like the messaging angle is something that's easy. You know, we can do a Facebook post, we can do a quick blog, you know, post, but really, that is that really telling the story. So our philosophy is, um, is really actualized through our integrated marketing team, and so the integrated marketing team's focus mirrors a lot of what I think some agencies, ad agencies look at when they are hired you know to for big brands like Nike or other people when they come in like what what story are we going to tell and the, impo- the reason it's important, the why behind it's important is because as many of our colleagues know in higher ed you know enrollment is becoming more and more of a challenge and the why becomes the stories that we tell in student affairs are exactly the stories that our enrollment colleagues, whether they're in our division or not, need to be able to tell in order to get people to understand sort of the peeling back the layer of the marketing that we do as an institution, but what does it look like? And when students tell those stories from a student perspective, it is much more powerful than if I or another staff member conceptualize this idea. and. We've seen it through our own channels, through the things that we've sent out. The integrated marketing approach of telling a story, so including not only the graphics but the story, the video, um, those elements all telling a story from different perspectives um, You know, and using data, back-end data to support when, where and how and why um, has really upped our game and to the point where a lot of our admissions, you know I think admissions folks can see that, I mean when we look at our back-end data, one of the first things we noticed over the last two years was that our international views on BSULife.com went up and part of it was some of the stories that stu- prospective students were searching for were from other countries, countries that we know we have partnerships with. And so it's like that—that's not that's not coincidence, that is purposeful because folks were starting to look at those stories, look at the integrated nature of them and say, oh that's another way of saying the same thing we're saying for our marketing materials on a viewbook or um, on a website, but now it's being told from a voice that might be more familiar so it's a long answer Tony I'm sorry about that, but really the the in terms of the crux of your question it's that stor- those stories now the storytelling ability of our divisions are deeply connected to enrollment and that's why it's important
0: hmm. cool so. Hamza, this next question for you. O- often communications and marketing teams get confused w- really with creative service providers. Can you, can you kind of give the audience a, dis- a distinction between the two different roles or concepts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to ask that question. Uh, communications and marketing strategy uh, and creative services providers, in my mind, are mutually exclusive. And and again, I welcome any sort of disagreement on this. Uh, it's just based on my experience, I've seen this happen not just within higher education and student affairs, but especially in the private sector, where you have these titles like digital strategist, for instance, uh, as fancy titles slapped onto someone who's juggling like a dozen different highly technical and granular frontline tasks. Um, But I I do think it's possible to be ambidextrous and ideally those functions are integrated like like, uh, Ed mentioned earlier. But uh, the resource realities of some divisions within student affairs uh, necessitates a different kind of thinking altogether. And what I've seen, what I've worked on uh, during my time at Ryerson and at U of T and what I'm certainly helping other institutions with now is uh, delineating communications and marketing strategy which involves a big picture thinking, user journey mapping, user experience design, data analysis, content mapping, etc. Um, and those things should ideally inform the work of somebody or the team that's working to execute the creative services providers, those who are working in graphic design, web design, video production, and whatnot. Uh, now, ideally, both roles and responsibilities should work together in harmony uh, for the best possible results. And as someone who's tried for so hard, st- someone has tried so hard for so many years uh, to do both, let me assure you that it's, it's ineffective and, and you'll lose focus and potentially burn out. Cool. So, Kat, next nice question for you. you.
0: You've, you've been in the field for quite some time now. What can you tell us? What has changed about how students discover information these days, and, and in particular, how they engage, maybe from even from 10 years ago?
3: I think, um, you know, it used to be that as student affairs professionals, we, we kind of had ownership of the communication channels. We had a suggestion box. We had forms. We had comment cards. We had all of these ways to elicit feedback from students, and now they have all the control. They're looking on different social platforms, and they're going to use the tools that are comfortable for them, so if a student needs help with something, they're going to reach out on the tools that are most comfortable for them, and so it's important as student affairs professionals that we look at that, and we say that, you know, we might not be on every social channel, but students might be talking about us or need help different social channels and so just the amount of technology that has come out and the changes that we've seen as far as how students engage with that and then reach out to us on Twitter or on Instagram or on Snapchat just to say this thing isn't working for me immediate need um, that's also something that's really different it's my ID card isn't working now I can't get into my building now or you know I can't eat now and so um, there's an immediacy that I don't think was always there before and I think that you know like I said as we're student different Professionals, we're not necessarily dictating which communication channels students are using. They're the ones that are telling us, "Hey, this is how I want to communicate with you."
0: So I'm going to ask this question to, to all three of you, and I have a follow-up question from Matt Cummings from uh, DePaul University, and it's in, in regards to assessment. So my question generally is, how do you assess the effectiveness of your campaigns? And and I'd like each of you to give a specific example of how specific data has led you to either change strategy and or allocate resources in a different way. And Ed, we'll start off with you again.
1: So something we learned over the past two years related to video consumption was that we were initially on YouTube doing most of our video creation and sharing on YouTube because that was the main platform we thought students were engaging with video on. And our videos were anywhere between, I don't know, two minutes to five minutes, depending on the campaign and the story we were telling. I mean, we were looking at really complex stories that we were telling. What we learned is that when we moved the video content to Facebook, so we exported the video as an MP4 or whatever video file we were using at the time, and once we uploaded it to Facebook, we saw so much more consumption of that video beyond a 10-second, you know, an, you know, initially the, I think it's like 10-second average for most videos on YouTube or something to that effect. Um, we saw engagement, reshares, comments go up completely on Facebook, and so. We started doing that as a standard practice and we shortened our videos to the point where it was 60 to 90 seconds instead. Because the data showed us that they weren't watching the whole video anyway. Um, we used to have this elaborate opening. If you see if you go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash BSULife, if you look at the earlier videos, we had a we had like a 3D opening with our you know connecting the university brand to our video. It was really cool, but after that, that's like seven seconds. If the average video was 10, they wouldn't even get through any of the content. So, you know, this year we cut that whole opening out and we just have, like, you know, a scrolling little bsu Life logo that opens the video with the content so it's right there right away. And so, like, looking at the data on a regular basis to try and, you know, and really going on the fly, I think many of us are so used to taking snapshots of data. So, like, at the midpoint of the semester or, you know, like... Um, at the end of the year for a year and report, you know, with with digital communication, you got to do that on a weekly basis, and in some would argue on a daily basis, to see what kind of content is trending and, you know, what is taking shape. The, the, it's true still that um, good content will be shared and, and refocused, but in terms of video, we learned that moving it to other platforms like Facebook, instead of just having it on one, we were just thinking in these silos, and we're like, oh, yeah, integrated probably also means we should move the video content to other platforms to so it's seen there too. It's not hard, but it was one of those, you know, because our the data that we had showed that our students were mostly consuming it on YouTube. So we went there. That's what we thought. Um, so it's a chicken it's a constant chicken and egg like philosophy. like where are they gonna look at it? how How would do we delineate that much? So for us, that's one example.
0: that's that's a great example. Thank you. All right, Hamza, you're up.
2: The one that comes to mind, uh, a really cool campaign that, that I was lucky to support uh, when I was working at Ryerson was the days of campaign on Instagram. So every season we would have RU days of winter or RU days of fall and summer and spring. And what we would do is we would uh, collect the best photos that students were uh, submitting into Instagram um, and we would feature them on our account. And what we saw initially was that uh, there was a slow uptake and people were tagging you know, RU days of summer or RU days of fall after the fact. And then, uh, you know, we, we, we never really thought about Instagram analytics. Instagram was just one of those accounts that we were just happy to use. It seemed like all of our students were using it. It was just based on intuition. And then we actually started to put some money towards tools like Iconosquare, Sprout Social, to actually measure what was happening on Instagram and get some data. And uh, initially, Iconosquare, it, was, uh, it wasn't robust enough for us to collect data from. Uh, it was just giving us sort of monthly snapshots. We were manually logging things into Excel and calculating things. And what we saw after a year, of running these campaigns, that uh, a there was a steady uptake, but b we were seeing some familiar students over and over again using these hashtags, uh, and we thought to ourselves, you know, it's a really uh, tedious process for us to curate all of these different photos from each of the seasons. Why not turn over some of the responsibility of running these campaigns over to the students, the influencers who are taking pictures uh, and hosting them on their personal accounts and who are naturally like, t- tagging these RU Days of campaigns um, as Within their captions, not not even as a comment. Like sometimes on Instagram, you take a picture and then you add comments or hashtags in the comments section. But no, these were students who were adding these hashtags as their first caption, which meant that they were very intentional about wanting these images to be seen by the Ryerson community. And so what we did is we started to encourage them. We reached out to them individually. We created invitations for them to have uh, offline meetups and to lead Instagram walks. And what has happened since then, uh, just by paying attention to the data at a very cursory level, is we learned that. A, Instagram is, is, is a huge uh, opportunity for us to drive a sense of student community uh, online, especially at a commuter, commuter campus like Ryerson. Uh, but to take that engagement offline uh, and give it back to the students and thereby distribute the workload with our team, it was a win-win-win situation for us. Cool. Cut.
3: So um, one thing that we did during the branding project um, at UW-Whitewater was we did a lot of um, surveys and research on what students think about our organization. And so one of the key components that we realized um, through um, surveys and kind of collecting different forms of data was that students viewed our organization as a building. And so it was an interesting concept at um, Whitewater because our student union was an organization which was also a building and there were organizations in our building that were not part of like our department, and there were parts of our department that were in a different building. Um, so we had kind of a brand identity crisis happening, and what we realized is that students don't view us as an organization, they view us as a building, and what happened in that building they associated with the University Center. And so that could be anything from dining services to our career counselors, um, to our first-year experience office, and so all of that was wrapped into their experience working in our working and visiting our building, and so um, that kind of changed how we marketed. We completely restructured our website based off of that information because students didn't know that you know the hot card office was part of the university center. It was just a place that they went in the UC to get their meal plans. Um, They didn't necessarily realize that it was kind of a department in and of itself. And so we restructured based on the user experience, thinking about what does a student need. They need to eat, they need to, you know, um, get this information. And so we restructured our website based on that and kind of took a step back as far as our marketing tactics and strategies, thinking about, you know, realizing that they know that whatever happens in this building is part of the University Center. How can we change our messaging to better meet their needs?
0: Fantastic. So I, I just want to thank the audience. We're getting some really great questions and I know I'm not going to be able to get to all of them today, but Matt Cummings has asked three great ones and I'm going to ask one of them right now to, to our panelists here. Uh, essentially he wants to know how do we accurately calculate return on investment with our marketing. Right? He, he says I, I get clicks per cost but how do we get into real return on investment, and then how do we communicate that to administrators, for example, uh, to justify the resources that we're allocating?
1: Tony, I'll start. Um, I I don't know if that's the right question. I, I know why he's asking it, but I don't know if that's really the right question. I say that because do we do that with everything we do in student affairs? Because if I were to ask a return on investment question around activities, around community service around a lot of things, I don't think the metrics would match what we believe would be success, right? I, I think we'd broaden that definition, we would look at that. I understand the need to look at okay, does the money we're, is the money that we're spending or time we're investing in these efforts paying back a dividend in engagement in attendance at events like that might be a metric for success to me, the, for, uh, for us here in, um, in Student Affairs and Enrollment at Bridgewater, it's is our, are our stories being consumed at a higher rate? Do I hear more conversations at different, at different tables around the work that we do around messaging that wasn't there before? So as an example, there was a time when um, organic social media um, was something that happened, right? Organic views on Facebook and Twitter were a thing, right? Now we had a pay-to-play. So if you don't pay, if you don't boost those those that content, no one's gonna physically the eyeballs won't see them. Which means that we're not really to, to to those folks who just do organic on social. You're missing you're missing the boat on at this point. The message alone, the story alone isn't enough. You have to pay a little bit to get almost start the fire, if you will, like, almost like that kindling. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that return on investment question. For each of our canvases will be different because all of us have a different level of resources, all of us have a different why behind it. So I would ask, why are we doing this? Like th- to, to go back to your return on investment, you're not gonna know return on investment until you know the why. It's not just we gotta get the message out about these events because people gotta show up. Like that, that train has left a long time ago. We now really need to be more strategic in our messaging. Um, and tie it back to university brand, university mission, and enrollment. Again, I have to keep harping that because if we're not telling the story of what the experience is like of being a student at our institution, someone else is going to tell that story. And it probably, in a way, it's not organic. Or, I mean, sorry, authentic to what we know it to be. So that's the, I think that's a better question to ask. I understand why that question is asked, but I think we need to go beyond the ROI to the why.
2: If I can quickly add to that, uh, if that's if that's all right, folks, um, to what Ed was saying, in terms of alignment with the university's goals, we we've tried. I mean, I, I've certainly tried over a number of years to calculate customer lifetime value, which would be the perfect return on investment um, sort of metric for for the work that we do, and, and it works. Well, with traditional businesses, it works well with app, you know, apps, for instance, in which uh, the transaction is very clear. But there's so many moving parts over here, and whose responsibility is it for recruitment, for retention? I mean, there's so many different promises made at every step of the student's journey that um, we've taken a very loose interpretation of what that is, and we think about our work in terms of programs, services, and events. And, uh, like to, to Ed's point, are we telling the stories? Are we raising the profile and awareness of these programs, services, and events? to attract students into the universe. Are we keeping them there? Are they attending these program services and events? Um, Are they satisfied? Are they telling their friends about it? I think it's a a lot of the work that we do in terms of how we measure that, and in in terms of how I've calculated return on investment is around potential, is around engagement satisfaction. But it's very, very difficult to calculate something as complex as customer lifetime value when um, the student is being made many promises by many different departments across many different touch points.
0: We don't have time to get into it now, but there was a probably a lot of you have have seen it, and I'll ask uh, some folks to tweet out the link. Uh, Gary Vannerchuk had a whole bit where he said, you know, what's the return on investment of social media? What's the return on investment of your mother? And then went went to, to talk about how it's a really hard thing to quantify. It's 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 a funny bit, uh, and again, I think we're going to throw out the link there in a minute. So. I always like to get to trends. Everyone wants to hear what the latest trends are, and I know, certainly know that you're going to talk about one of them that's uh, taken over over the last week or so right now. So what is a student affairs trend involving millennials that e- each one of you are paying close attention to this year? We'll start with Hamza.
2: Oh, man. Uh, can, I, can I do Pokemon Go? Does yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Go for it.
2: I'm super excited, A, as like a lifetime, life- lifelong Pokemon fan, to see the resurgence of Pokemon as a brand, which had an amazing run for almost two decades, and it's still going strong, and here we are back at the 150, and I think this is going to carry on for the next decade or so. But I think more than that, I'm excited to see the resurgence, the popularity of augmented reality. It was a concept, or it was technology that I was really interested in a couple of years ago. Uh, it came with Foursquare, and then Swarm happened, and then it kind of got fragmented, and we started forgetting about augmented reality as we were focusing on virtual reality and uh, you know other other different types of trends uh, ephemeral social networks uh, snapchat and whatnot but i'm excited to see uh, this thing over here this 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 waypoint in our in our in our in our pockets be used for more than just uh, the text based applications for more than just the phone uh, but for us to fully use the camera the gps all of the different functionality in that device to add a digital layer on top of what we're doing and i think what's really cool Um, And and the very practical application that I'm already seeing across campuses all over Canada and the States um, is adding Pokestops and adding different sort of meetups and this sort of online to offline component uh, to the campus, ways for students to interact with different buildings and learn about, uh, you know, uh, different historical aspects of the campus to learn about different units on campus through this game. Um, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with Pokemon Go over the next couple of months. Cool.
0: I think
3: that kind of, I think that this kind of ties together with the Pokemon Go um, and augmented reality as well, is I've noticed um, a trend where students are trying to find more meaning instead of just getting through college and graduating and getting the paycheck and checking off the job and being more list-oriented and trying to figure out, you know, who am I as a person, what role do I play, what can I contribute, and and finding this meaning and purpose, and um, I think it's We've even seen that through vehicles like Pokemon Go, where they're putting lures in places. Um, there was a joke on the internet about um, somebody hoping they would put um, lures at polling places for election season. Um, so it's cool to see students thinking about, you know, here's this thing, and I want to use it for good, and I want to be able. Um, to to change the world and do something very meaningful Um, and I think that you know that really goes back to what Ed was saying too of how we tell our student affairs story I think that we're in this really unique position in student affairs where we get to build a holistic student and think about you know what do you want to do after graduation how can you take all these things that you're interested and passionate about and can and um, merge that with the things that you're learning in class to be able to you know get your dream job or to be able to make a difference and how we tell that story in student affairs is like Ed said gonna help with the admissions part of it Um, but I think it also helps with the attention part of it too, seeing, you know, this person is a wheelchair athlete and they're in the group community and they're doing all of these things. I can I can see myself being that person. And so I think that um, that's been a really interesting trend that I've noticed.
0: So I'm going to profess I don't know a thing about Pokemon B and, and I, I try and throw out as many of the cards uh, in my household as possible because my, my children argue about it daily. Um, but I, I did want to share Rutgers uh, has had an outbreak of meningitis B and we've been trying to educate students to get them to get vaccinated with this meningitis B vaccine. So our marketing team actually used Pokemon and created I guess a, a location and did like a little Trememba virus as a Pokemon stop and, and hopefully we can find it and, and tweet that out. But I heard today in a meeting it you know it got 17,000 views in a single day so really effective way at getting out a message uh, Uh, Particularly during a time of crisis. Who who would have thought? All right, Ed, up to you.
1: So I think for me this year, um, we really are focused on how do we help students disagree with civility? You know, we are at a, we are in a, obviously with the election that just Kat just mentioned, I think we're entering in the fall not only uh, the 15 year um, anniversary of 9 11, we're talking about what's happening in our country. um, with a lot of the civil unrest that's taking place right now across the country, um, the, the ability to say we disagree and not we're gonna we're gonna be completely rude, mean. I mean, I think there's got to be a better way for us, particularly online, to have civil conversations without um, sort of the mm, I don't know the the hatred. The, I don't know if it's hate, but there's there's certainly a way for us, I think, to role model behavior. So there are colleagues of mine who won't share political affiliations online because that's just not their place to do that, which I get. But I think in person and online we could be more active in supporting those who are using their voices for these things and choose to either partake or to support or to challenge another perspective. I think as student affairs professionals that's the piece I think this fall that we desperately need uh, you know, to do more active roles in because where else are they gonna learn this piece? And typically when, you know, we have been at the forefront of a lot of these outside the classroom. And so um, when you think about the online world and um, telling our story, you know, I think a lot of us may might have seats at the table or at least influence when our institutions have to respond to things that happen across the country. How do we respond? How do we look at it from a student life and student affairs perspective so that our students are feeling supported. Um, it's, not, it's complex, it's not easy, I'm not making it out to be, but I think if I'm looking at a, a student affairs trend, um, it's how do we have these difficult conversations with civility.
0: That's great. I, I think that's going to be a topic of a future show c- with the uh, upcoming elections. Uh, certainly something everyone's going to be dealing with uh, over the next few months. So, so I appreciate you bringing that up. So I, I haven't done a speed round in months, and you are the right group to do a speed round with. So everyone, get ready. We're gonna get a lot of information in a really short amount of time. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna throw out something to, to our guests, and they're gonna quickly answer with a single word, a phrase, or a short sentence uh, in response to what I throw out there, all right? And we're gonna go Ed, Hamza, Kat. That's, that's our order. All right, you ready? Here we go. Favorite social tool. Ed, hash tracking.
2: Hootsuite.
3: Seife.
0: All right. Next one. iPhone or Android. Droid. iPhone. iPhone. All right. PC or Mac. 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 I see some dissonance there at mm-hmm. the Mac and the and the Droid. All right. Favorite web browser.
1: See, I see diversity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, web browser, uh, Chrome. Chrome. Chrome.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Better switch then. All right. Favorite font. Helvetica New. Yeah. Lee Gothic. Optima. No Comic Sans? No? <laughs> no? All right. <laughs> Best stock imagery site? iStockphoto.com. Same, iStockphoto.
3: I'm really biased because I sell my photography, but Shutterstock.
0: Ah, shut up. Ah, oh, interesting. All right. Uh, favorite photo camera?
1: Uh, the Canon Rebel T3i. Uh,
2: GoPro, if that counts. GoPro Hero Black.
3: Uh, Canon 5D Mark II. Uh,
1: oh, yeah. That's good okay. okay. <laughs> favorite website? BSULife.com.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, Reddit?
3: Content Marketing Institute.
0: Wow. Okay, I'm going to have to check out. I know Reddit. Um, favorite app?
2: Uh, paper. Uh, Evernote.
3: Um, I use my notes section for a lot of just
1: jotting stuff down.
0: Cool, all right. Favorite marketing related book.
1: Uh, one do you share with me Tony, Presentation Zen.
2: Yeah. Uh, to Sell as Human.
1: The Brand Gap.
0: Excellent. I right. hope we're tweeting all these out. Best free resource. Pew Research. I love Pew. Uh, 99U. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah
3: um, it's kind. Of, it's the same as my favorite website, but Content Marketing Institute puts out a lot of really, really good content.
0: Cool. All right, and last one, and you can't use yourself, your own website. Mm-hmm. Favorite company, person, or account to follow for top marketing trends?
1: Uh, Seth, Seth Godin, Godin. I can't remember. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but yeah, Seth.
2: Uh, it's Vala Offshore from Salesforce. Yeah.
3: Um, I would say Jay Bear and Hanley has some really good content.
0: Cool. Very cool. All right, that ends our speed round. Look at that. Look at all the information people came away with in like three minutes. <laughs> Outstanding. So we got a question from Dan Harefield from University of Maryland, and he says students keep changing platforms. You know, what is your impression about engaging through Snapchat? How is this being used effectively? And and I want to throw out there, I I often hear professionals throw around the notion that Facebook is dead, email is dead, printed materials are dead. Are these channels, in fact, dead? And, And if you had to guess, what percentage of students hear about events and services from social media, from printed materials, from email? Ed, maybe you can start us off.
1: Yeah, we have looked at that on our own campus. We've done um, not only in conjunction with IT, but um, you know some of our own research related to digital communication and print. Um, Tony, I have to tell you, I think they all matter. I, I don't I don't think we can in 2016 say something is "quote unquote" dead be, just because maybe we're not using it personally. I think we project a lot of our own digital biases to the to the um, to the channels that we might be using for our for our departments and our organizations. I would say that if we're really doing integrated marketing, we have to figure out a way to have that message be on multiple platforms that includes print. So, um, I know my colleagues don't like hearing that because they would just want to. F- they may just want to focus on a few things, but again, if you're if you have a broad audience on your campus like we do here at Bridgewater, it's um, it's it's a both and, not an either or. And so, I would encourage you to do some research, assessment-wise, on your own campus with your IR folks, and then. From there, make some um, targeted decisions based on your resources and capacity
0: and bandwidth. So, Kat, things are changing so quickly these days software changes, new technology, you know, the app, the 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 flavor of the day in apps uh, seems to change on a, on a weekly basis. How how are we as professionals supposed to keep up with this this crazy pace of change?
3: Um, Sorry for the flickering lights. It looks like they're testing out our fire system again. Our building's under construction, uh, so I'm just praying for no construction noise, but it looks like they are testing out the fire system.
0: That's right. We can hear you fine.
3: So for me, it really comes down to community. Um, I think there are great websites out there. I think that there are great tools out there. Um, But for me, it really comes down to the communities that I've built. Um, Conferences are my favorite thing, because it makes me feel like I'm not a crazy person, because you get together with like-minded people to connect and to collaborate. And so when I'm looking for trends, when I'm looking for different information, when I'm trying to figure out, is Snapchat something we should be using, and I need a second opinion, I definitely go to communities, both on and offline, Um, and both inside and outside of student affairs. That was one thing that um, was really interesting in, uh, when I was at UW-Whitewater is we were looking at what is going on in student affairs across the country and what is going on outside of student affairs that we can bring in to really push student affairs in a new direction. Um, and the, the communities that we've established, you know, through professional development organizations like some of the ones that we mentioned earlier um, and through different websites like we've been talking about, what it really comes down for me is anecdotal evidence with people that are using these that have experience to try to learn from them.
0: So we all, I think we all use some kind of project management software, or or maybe some of us are still using some post-its up on a wall, I know that can be effective for some, but particularly for big divisional uh, marketing groups there's a lot, there's hundreds if not thousands of projects coming through the pipeline uh, on a yearly basis. So can, can one of you speak to the importance of project management software? and maybe share a few platforms that you've come across or that you might recommend?
2: Sure, I, I could go first. Um, uh, we use Asana at uh, Splash Effect, and that's also what we've used at Ryerson when I used to work over there, and they still use it till this day. It's it's the lifeblood of what we do, and and for those reasons that you stated, Tony. I mean, I, I heard some stats somewhere recently, like 60 to 65% of projects fail, just poorly pr- poorly planned projects fail. Um, and so, what we discovered in the use of our Asana over the years is that, like, A, we were able to fix a bunch of operational inefficiencies. We were able to better integrate our tools, had a central source of project information. Um, we improved the, visi- the visibility of our work, resource management. Uh, and then, what we found as a natural byproduct of that is just improved team communication. The quality of our final products increased. Uh, things were completed on time, under budget. Uh, and most importantly, students were happy. Um, So yeah, I would highly, highly recommend uh, checking out Asana, but very similar project management tools are also Trello, Basecamp, and some institutional uh, enterprise-level ones as well.
3: If I could um, jump in on that too, we use Asana where I am now. And when I was at UW-Whitewater, we used Trello. And I I can't recommend that highly enough. That was initially my free favorite resource during the lightning round questions, And it was great. What we did is I could run basically our entire office off of an iPad. We had an app called iAnnotate, which was a PDF um, viewer and organizer on an iPad. And we built like, a, a project request form in that. We could fill it out with the client. I took a screenshot. I uploaded it to Trello. And it has all these wonderful cards. So you can assign it to a, a student or an employee. And you can pass it from one slot to another. They can pass it to me when it needs to be reviewed. I can, I can write it all up. I can re-upload it and move it around. And so that really took away the need for waiting for, you know, me to come back from a meeting or for a student to get started on something. They had everything they needed and they could get started right away. So those two tools were really, really beneficial in our office.
1: Yeah, we uh, we have not gone to Basecamp or Trello or Asana yet. Um, in the last two years we've just used Google Docs, um, a combination of Google Docs, email and, and really texting and nothing too fancy but it's worked for us and I know that over the next year, we're starting to really dabble in Microsoft Office 365's, you know, groups function and some of the things that we just got online with with our institution, so um, I would love to move to a Basecamp or an Asana at, at, at some point soon, but I know that um, we're still exploring, and I think each institution will have to figure out what's, what communication method works best for project management. Um, and you don't need to buy an expensive um, software package to do it. You can you can make do if you're a Google campus and can figure out how to do it on Google, then I think you can do that. Again, it just depends on finding what works for you. Cool.
0: So I want to shift over and talk about social media monitoring. You know, particularly at, at some of the larger institutions, you could have tens of thousands of... Um, Posts related to your institution come up over any given day. So, so my question is is fairly basic. Why should we be listening to social media chatter? And can can someone provide some strategies that that users might employ to best listen and respond, in particular to some of the higher volume um, across all channels, not just Twitter, um, so that that so that we can really target our messages and, and react and respond to folks. Anyone? All
1: right,
3: why, I'll go. Yeah,
0: why why do we need to be listening? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that's where I think we begin to see um, some of the concerns from our community, respective communities. Um, you know, and a lot of times the the monitoring of it and the strategy of it starts depending on the kind of content your your team is developing. So if you're doing marketing for events, and that's the main reason why you're on social media, you may miss out on other things that are taking place because your content is limited to advertising instead of trying to create conversations around... Um, you know, things that might be happening on campus, uh, discussions that, you know, or responding to things that students and parents and other community members are asking questions about, um, you know, some of the um, more uh, anonymous social networks might might be worth listening to, not because of the, the, the negative things that take place on there, but more because that the anonymous networks almost give you the the truth behind the, you know, if, if Twitter, Facebook, um, Snapchat, like if these are giving you sort of here's all the great things that are happening, behind the scenes might be where on the anonymous social networks might be where, um, you know, the truth of how students are really feeling. And so I have colleagues who don't want to go on any anonymous social networks because they, they, it, it, they have a bad rap or they've had negative experiences. But if you drill down a bit and just, you know, take some time to look at some of the things, you might learn more about the culture of of the student population better than if you looked at just um, Twitter or just looked at Facebook. So for us, you know, we're beginning to tie in social media into most of our customer service areas. So folks who answer the phones and folks who give tours, like, we find those to be so um, important because they provide us with content to share. So if our phone calls are ringing off, if our phones are ringing off the hook about a certain topic or a certain concern or questions, we know that, that those, those aren't the only people who have those questions. So, naturally, they're going to then share that on social to start conversations around similar things that other people might be thinking about. So, if you're a, a department or a division looking to find a reason why social media is part of your communication strategy, it's because the phone is, shouldn't be the only point of contact or an email form or whatever else you have in place. Those should be all part of the social conversation you're having as in, in response to um, a variety of things that your department or division are, are responding to. So.
2: And um, social listening is, is, is such a, I totally agree with everything I said, it's, it's such a, it's such a big data play. Like you're going to get such invaluable information that will directly impact how you structure and run your program services and events. Actually while I was chatting I pulled up one of my favorite quotes from Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, he said. Anytime scientists disagree, it's because we have insufficient data. Then we can agree on what data to get. We get the data, and the data solves a problem. Either I'm right, or you're right, or we're both wrong, and we move on. And uh, I think I think about that a lot because, like, uh, throughout my career, I've come across different different excuses for not using the data. Like, either like I'm not a numbers person, or I'm just a big picture person. And I, I don't think that's that's that's. Um, I don't think that's healthy, A, but, but B, I think it's a poor excuse, especially in a day and age where all of these applications, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, provide such easy to understand uh, native analytics uh, that give you a very quick snapshot as to what's working, what's not working, and then you can use that to, uh, to, to, to better do your work. And, and my, my three favorite tools in particular are Sprout Social, uh, Tag Sleuth, and I think it's a tie between Iconosquare and Moz. Uh, Moz offers a great set of tools to help just listen in on this, this huge volume of data that you described earlier, Tony. Uh,
0: I love that you brought that up, Hamza. Um, you know, whenever I come across self-proclaimed uh, social media gurus or, or Jedi's, as uh, Eric Soler used to say, um, I often ask them, so how is data driving your strategy? And, and when they look at me like a deer in headlights, I know they don't really know what they're talking about. Uh,
2: it's it's remarkable because like 20 years ago when, when TV was the dominant uh, vehicle for marketing like we would have killed to have the kind of information that we have today like what people are are thinking about what they're saying in response to uh, you know television ads and now we have that data and not and not just do we have that data we can grow so granular with that data it's 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 utterly remarkable.
0: So Hamza, I'm gonna stay with you on this question. We we. Often other department staff are the clients in, in, in the marketing relationship, right, marketing staff are the service providers. In an ideal world, what does the process look like when someone comes to you as a marketing manager you know, with an idea, with a new program or campaign? You know, everyone wants a viral video, give me a viral video. Um, so what are the kind of questions that you ask? What, what kind of systems or processes might you put in place to make sure everyone's on the same page?
2: Right. Uh, like for, for us, whenever we receive uh, any request, whether when, when I was working at Ryerson or here at Splash Effect, uh, we take the same approach that we do with any sort of project or, or task. Uh, big, we're big believers in David Allen, getting things done, and C uh, C C O R D: capture, clarify, organize, reflect, do, so that's the process we use first. So we capture the information, uh, we clarify it, we organize it, we add uh, you know, timelines milestones, uh, descriptors and whatnot, we organize it into the system, delegate it where we need to, reflect on the process, and just start executing. And I think the questions that we ask, um, so there's a bunch of them actually, and I'll try my best to remember all of them, but it's what what is it first of all, um, who is it for, why would they use it, why are we creating it, how does it work, uh, what would your friends share on social media, what will people share on social media, I think that's often a good uh, question to help understand like the very sustained value proposition of that particular thing uh, why is it going to be successful and what are the risks and I think uh, I think that's a pretty good cross-section of questions I might be forgetting some but I, I can I can look back in my notes um, and then once we have all of those questions answered then we go into this tool that we call uh, this tool that we use called the producers mixtape uh, I think the website is producersmixtape.com or theproducersmixtape.com. And it provides you with a complete set of potential steps that you might need to execute any creative project. Um we have a project scope document which aligns us on timelines, objectives, risk assumptions, and then we're off to the races. Wow,
0: well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this episode myself and, and take notes. There have been so many great resources shared here sure. today.
1: So, Tony, can I add on to what Hamza yes, just said? Yes, of course, please so, so, I think for us, you know, when we look at process, one of the things that we love talking about is that it's student-driven here. So, between student employees, student internships, and practicum students, they're the drivers of the development of the content, and it's co-curricular, right? So, thinking about our work in student affairs, with academic affairs, and creating co-curricular opportunities, All of the students that work for us primarily are from the comm department, are from the English department, are from marketing and communications, um, you know, the art department for graphics. You know, I think we need to be, if we have those programs on our campuses, you have access to some students who might want to build their portfolios. And so our process has evolved over the years because we've worked with employers who hire our students after graduation because they've had the very experience integrated marketing-wise that they're going to walk into on day one, they're job ready day one. So um, I'm about to tweet out all of our job descriptions because I think people might need assistance or help or guidance on how do you develop a job description for something like this. And what you'll notice is that in all of our job descriptions, we include, we're a strengths-based campus, so we include the the ideal strengths themes that we're looking for in an employee. We also, thanks to the faculty involvement of co-writing these job descriptions, um, we included course descriptions, so if you've taken COM 335 or 334 or whatever, now you know as a student, oh, I've taken that course. This job might fit what I, you know, what what I'm trying to do. And so, I think we need to be much more strategic with how we develop these job descriptions for our students because that's what's going to lead them to jobs after graduation. And again, if we're looking at the co-curricular experience for our students that has to be on the forefront and creating partnerships with agencies in our local area to find out well, what do you wanted to know day one on that first job that we could teach them as part of our experience. Well now they're walking out with a killer portfolio because as a graphic designer they're not just showing you the graphics, they're showing you the integrated marketing approach to how the graphic was used across social, across uh, web, um, in print, and on a video, right? That is more powerful than a graphic designer saying, here's my graphics. Aren't they pretty? They're great, but how did you use it in a marketing campaign? Like, that's what they want to know. And so that's the integrated piece that I think we all, as a, you know, in the field of higher education and student affairs, I think could do more with if we took the time to look at that.
0: So before we get to our final question, Jen Jones, I'm not sure where you're from, Jen. Uh, asks does anyone have recommendations for great student affairs marketing conferences?
2: There's a really great one that happens up here in Canada called PSE web. Um, It's not student affairs focused specifically it's more for broader higher ed but there's several uh, folks who comprise that year-over-year from student affairs world um, and different programs and tracks are very very relevant to what we're doing here in student affairs. So PSE Web is what I would recommend, uh, especially for folks listening in from Canada. Okay.
1: I'm not aware of any student affairs-related marketing conferences, per se, but I know that at both ACPA and NASPA, there are sessions and tracks that do look at this. Um, It's definitely not to the point where I think it could be, um, because, again, there's so many important topics to talk about in student affairs and higher ed, but... I would love to see um, a group of us pull something together because I think it's necessary now. I think there's more of us doing focused, integrated marketing work on our campuses. So, um, you know, Tony, I don't know. Maybe we maybe figure something out for with Higher Ed Live. It might be fun.
0: Ed, are you, are you not considering a, a pre-symposium on marketing next year at ACPA? Uh,
1: I think we are, yeah. I think we are, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Uh, and and I know it's not student affairs related, but certainly 99U you mentioned early, mm-hmm. earlier, Hamza has a has a great conference. Right. Uh, American Marketing Association, which is more higher ed, but uh, really is about engagement with students, uh, is another good national conference uh, that moves around the country. Um, and I would encourage people just because it's not student affairs doesn't mean that you're not going to learn something. From it, right? In fact, you might learn more because you're bringing in stuff from outside the industry and applying it to, to our work.
3: Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, WVU is where I did my online um, master's program in Integrated Marketing Communications and they have a IMC-focused conference every year. It's a really, really delightful, short conference. Um, they're doing one this November in Chicago too and the nice thing is they have a lot of those resources online right now so you can look at speakers, um, their slide decks, their videos and different things like that so they do a good job of helping bring those conference materials online to you so you can view them without having to travel um, but that's also another really nice conference.
0: So the final question I always ask at the end of an episode is for each of you to share a few additional resources that you think might help viewers continue to learn about and explore some of the topics and and issues uh, that we've covered here today. So let's start in reverse order. Kat, you want to get us started?
3: Um, sure, like I said, I look a lot of a lot of the resources I look at are outside of higher ed. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at Content Marketing Institute, the Convince and Convert website has a lot of really good information. Um, those are some of the resources uh, that I use. Again, um, the WVU IMC program puts out a lot of really good content. Um, so, um, i trying to think of another conference. Um, But I would encourage people to build their own communities. So I have a a student or a friend of mine that was a student with me in the grad program at WVU and she has a book club. And so we talk about a marketing book every month and um, getting together those like-minded people and starting to build your own community is a great way to get more information as well.
2: All right. Hamza. Uh, I'm I'm with Cat on this one. I think that we need to do a better job within Student Affairs of building our own communities to have this sort of learning for all Student Affairs practitioners here. And I think we could definitely chat like during or after this about you know ways that we could we could. I'd love to support whatever we're, we're trying. Uh, I too look outside, tend to look outside of the Student Affairs community. I'm really into a website called Marketing Profs at the moment, uh, and another one called Smashing Magazine, especially if you're more design oriented. Uh, they provide you with a lot of great resources, fonts, photos. Um, different kinds of tutorials, so those are the two that I'm using right now.
0: Now, Ed, Marketing Ed I know that you kind of started uh, a trend in student affairs of this c- learning through the community with the confab uh, mm-hmm. concept that you, you started up in Boston. Where is that and, and do you have some other thoughts, resources that you can share with us?
1: Sure, so I would say that um, I would give credit to where it's due. The CONFAB is really from Ken Elmore, the Dean of Students at um, at BU, Boston University. Um, you know, I think our piece was the student affairs technology unconferences a few years back when we started bringing, you know, communities together of people who were looking at technology in student affairs. And perhaps it's time to re, re, um, uh, revive the unconference model for marketing and, and communications folks. You know, that might be an idea that we pull together. Um, you know, I, I would say, Tony, that for this group and for the student affairs folks who are on this, who are watching this, who are engaged in this conversation, um, you know, reaching out to the three of us, to you, and to others who might have it in their t- officially in their job description and their titles, because um, I think there is something to be said to create an online community, whether you know it's it's in this format or other formats that we pick. Um, I've appreciated. Um, you know other marketing conferences like like I know HubSpot has like inbound I think inbound is their big thing and when you look at some of the players there I think that's um, when you look at trends in marketing I think that's important not because they translate well into higher ed but because it makes you think outside the box related to what we know and what they're looking at so um, I I'm down for, you know, pulling folks together anytime because that's sort of, you know, I, I love doing that, and, you know, Tony, with our work, with the, with, the, with the task force, with ACPA, I mean, I think there's opportunities for us to do more of this intentionality around conversations with this work, so um, whatever comes about, you know, I'm on, you know I'm on board, so let's go, let's do it. <laughs>
0: Well, th- thanks to all of you for a great conversation. This, uh, obviously, this is something I'm passionate about. You're my peeps uh, in, in marketing, uh, and we could probably go on for hours, and, and hopefully we can get together again soon and uh, continue the conversation. Now, next week, Heather Shegas will be back on Wednesday with an episode on LGBTQ and Latinx issues in student affairs, and she, she never shies away from a challenge. She will have eight guests, on that episode, and if you've ever done a hangout with eight guests, God bless her. Um, but anyone can pull it off, she can do it. Uh, you can receive reminders about this and other great shows by subscribing to the Higher Ed Live newsletter. You can also browse the archives at higheredlive.com or subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. I'm Tony Duty. Thanks for watching, everyone. I hope you make it a great week, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.